Out of 27.6 million companies, those businesses have been in business for 10 years or longer. 70% of those businesses are at risk of going out of business. 70% will go out of business. You've heard about the big public companies like Toys R Us in business 75 years goes out of business. Kmart, Steinmart, Pier 1, Montgomery Ward's in trouble, Sears. Let's talk Welcome to the podcast. Today, uh, we have with us an amazing guest. And and uh, friends and um, uh, and folks, very few times we invite um, experts and, and knowledge experts who are talking about some of the critical component that we as a business are failing nowadays. And I think uh, although we are, many of us are, are running in our, in our uh, rate to make our business successful and very few of us get a chance to think about the exits. And today we have someone in house to talk about exits and what exit means, what it should, how we should look at it, and what it means to an, an entrepreneur or a business. So, with that, Michelle, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, before before we fire it up, um, walk us through your journey. Like, what brought you to this world of exits? And and by the way, thank you for all the amazing works you are doing in that. Thank you. So my journey, I've always been an entrepreneur, even as a little girl, you know, I wasn't your typical little girl. I didn't play with dolls. I didn't play with toys. I would walk around with a notebook, walk up to a perfect stranger and start asking him questions, just kind of like you are with me right now. And I was always curious about what do they do? How do they do it? How do they get started in business? At six years old, that's what I was doing. So I always knew I was going to be my own boss. I always knew I was, you know, going to be an entrepreneur. And um, always knew I, I love people. I love finding out what the problem is. I love coming up with solutions. I love writing. And so, and I also knew I would always be my own boss because I don't like being told what to do. <laughs> <laughs> so I've owned many different businesses and many different verticals. I did get stuck in corporate America and I went to work at Xerox for a very short period of time. I ended up leaving Xerox and transitioning to franchise sales, franchise consulting, franchise development. And um, was had equity partnerships in different franchisors. And I, ha I kept having buyers come to me and ask me, do you have an existing business for sale? We don't want to buy a franchise. We want an existing business. And I kept saying, no, no, no. And all of a sudden, I'm like, why am I saying no? I need to say yes. Like law of attraction. I need to say yes, yes, yes. So that's really how I started my M&A firm 20 plus years ago. I personally sold 500 businesses. My firm has sold uh, with me over a thousand businesses. We've been doing this, like I said, a little over 20 years. Uh, we've done thousands upon thousands of valuations. I specialize in not just selling businesses, but I also buy businesses and flip them. I help you know business owners leave corporate America and create financial freedom, create a better quality of life, and buy the business of their dreams. And I also partner with business owners, investing my time, expertise, resources, and capital in which to fix their businesses, grow their businesses, and put them on a build-to-sell program. So we really specialize in buying, selling, fixing, and growing. You know, Steve Forbes says eight out of 10 businesses will not sell. And Steve Forbes ex endorsed my book, Exit Rich. I love seeing Exit Rich right behind your shoulder. <laughs> and eight out of 10 businesses will not sell. So that's really why I started fixing businesses and putting them on a build-to-sell model. Interesting. So that's my and, journey. And, and, and um, why... M and A, like what? What is? How would you? Uh, what? Or walk us through the initial days of when you are starting to venture into your own 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 stint. 
that you're going to be uh, focusing on M&A. Walk us through that, that mindset and, and what brought you to the world of M&A. Well, I said what brought me to the world of M&A is buyers were asking me for existing businesses and I was only selling franchises. I was doing franchise sales, franchise development, franchise consulting. And when I had so many buyers say, I don't want franchising, that's when I decided I really need to, you know, set up a business selling businesses. And I started in the beginning selling small businesses, you know, restaurants, coffee shops, laundromats, dry cleaners, things of that nature. I did that for a very short period of time. And then I started selling businesses, 5 million, 10 million and up. And today we sell businesses, you know, 50, 70, $80 million. And, and for our listeners and viewers, uh, walk us through what, what is, what is M&A? What is merger and acquisition? So walk us through, through, uh, uh, in simplest, simplistic terms. So there's business brokers and there's mergers and acquisitions, M&A advisors. Business brokers sell small businesses like pizzerias, coffee shops, dry cleaners, things of that nature. Mergers and acquisitions, M&A advisors sell metal market businesses, you know, typically 10, 15, 20, 30 million and up. And the big difference is, is, you know, they're much larger businesses. You're dealing with a whole different set of buyers. There's five types of buyers. And the big difference of what we do versus what most M&A advisors do is we actually fix the business before we put it on the market because most businesses are not sellable. Like Steve Forbes says, eight, you know, eight out of 10 businesses won't sell. So mergers and acquisitions is, you know, merging companies together, um, taking on a client's business, taking on an engagement to sell a client's business, or perhaps representing a buyer. A buyer might come to us and say, hey, we're looking to buy a SaaS company. And this is the criteria we're looking for, and we'll pay you a fee um, upon us purchasing a SaaS business. So we can represent the seller, we might get hired by the buyer, or there's been cases where we merge companies together. Fascinating. So <clears throat> when you, uh, when you, when, when any any entrepreneur or any business approach you um, that they need help with uh, fixing in their M and A. Whether, whether you want to acquire M&A or whether you want to be uh, acquired by someone and, you, and they want some fixing. In, from your vantage point, what are some of, the, some of the common mistakes businesses are doing when it comes to exiting? Like what are some of the common mistakes that you have found that, that are easy, relatively easy fixes that businesses are not realizing? Well, I don't know if there's easy fixes. You know, nothing's really easy fixes when it comes to businesses, but... One, the biggest mistake, the number one mistake is business owners never think about selling their business until a catastrophic event has occurred. So they never plan for their business exit. Business owners don't fail to plan. They don't, they don't plan to fail. They fail to plan. So most business owners don't think about selling their business until an internal or external catastrophic event has occurred. So that could be health issues, partner, partner dispute, divorce, death. External can be this pandemic we're in and or business owners get burned out and they're like, I'm exhausted. I can't do this anymore. You can't sell your business in the middle of a catastrophic event because you're never going to be able to maximize value because your business is typically trending downward and not doing well. The best time to sell your company is when your company is in its prime and doing great. And so that's one of the biggest mistakes. Also, business owners haven't really created a business. They've created a glorified job in which they go to work at every day versus a business that actually works for them. 
So what we do is we work with our clients to get them on the GPS exit model. I call this the ST GPS exit model and exit rich. Would you like me to take you through it? Sure, sure. By, by all means, yes. Okay. So the first step that we work with our clients is determining the destination. When you want to drive somewhere, you pull out Google Maps, you plug in your destination. Otherwise, you're going to be driving around in circles. <laughs> and that's what business owners do. Most business owners never have a destination. So again, they don't plan to fail, they fail the plan. So they're driving around in circles, driving up and down the financial hills. So we help them determine what is your destination? What is your end game? What is your desired sales price? And a lot of times they get hung up on a number. And I tell my clients, don't get hung up on a number, just pick a number. Let's say you want to sell for 15 million, let's say $10 million. You want to sell for $10 million. Great. What does the STGPS exit model need to know next? It needs to know where you're starting from. What is your current location? And in other words, what is your current valuation? What is your business worth today? Most business owners have never had a business evaluation. We go to the doctor once a year to get an annual physical checkup to make sure our heart's still ticking and we're still kicking. Mm. We drive a car to the, to the mechanic to make sure that we get an annual tune-up on our car, but we never get an annual valuation checkup on our business. That's financial suicide. Your business is your most valuable asset. There are events that increase valuation. There are events that decrease valuation, just like this pandemic. So you, business owners need to know every single year what your business is worth. So every year you should get an annual business valuation checkup on your most valuable asset. So let's say you want to sell for 10 million and you're currently worth a million. The next thing you need to know is time frame. So let's say you want to sell in 10 years. Then the next step in the STGPS exit model is who are your buyers going to be? Notice I said buyers and not buyer. I have clients that come to me all the time and say, Michelle, I already have the buyer. I just need you to represent me. And I say, no. <laughs> They're like, why no? Because the likelihood of that one buyer closing on your business is slim to none. Mm. Something will happen in due diligence and the deal will fall apart. You never want to put your eggs in one buyer's basket. You want to always have backup buyers. Plus, how can we maximize value if we can't create competition because you have one buyer? Mm. The way you get the highest price is by creating competition to bid. That's how you maximize value and get the highest price. So there's five types of buyers. You need to determine what buyer is right for your business. 90% of buyers are first-time buyers. First-time buyers are not going to buy a $10 million company, so you can rule them out. They buy small businesses typically under a million dollars. Then the second type of buyers turn around specialists. They buy distressed assets. They're not going to buy a $10 million company. Then you have private equity groups. Private equity groups buy two ways, based on platforms and add-ons. A platform is when they say, hey, we want to get in the food manufacturing space and we're not currently in food manufacturing. They won't even consider a company in that space unless you have three to $5 million in EBITDA. EBITDA is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Now, add-on is, let's say they're already in food manufacturing and are looking at a spice company. They will consider an add-on under a million dollars in EBITDA, but a platform has to be three million and up in EBITDA. 
Then the fourth type of buyer is strategic slash competitors. They typically will pay the highest multiple because they're buying synergies. They're buying synergies that will help catapult their current business to the next level. Plus they take advantage of economies of scale. Plus they look at the infrastructure to see what could we cut in which to decrease overhead and increase EBITDA from day one of closing on the sale of this business. The last type of buyer, the fifth type of buyer is serial, entrepreneur, serial entrepreneurs, sophisticated buyers. They're industry agnostic. They chase cash flow. Okay. So those are the five types of buyers. Then you need to reverse engineer your plan and say, okay, if I want to sell for $10 million, where's my gross revenues need to be? Most importantly, where does the EBITDA need to be? The EBITDA to sell for $10 million needs to be at least around $2 million in order to sell. Then you have to ask yourselves, these, these three types of buyers that will be interested in my business, what is their buying criteria? What are they looking for? You know, what synergies are they willing to pay top dollar for? And then you build your business to meet their specific criteria. It's kind of like when a business owner starts a business. They say, okay, here's my widget. <laughs> I'm going to sell this widget. Here's my target audience that's going to buy this widget, right? Mm -hmm. Same thing. We're trying to sell your business. The last step in the model is your why. Why do you want to sell a business for $10 million? The why is so important because if the why is not powerful enough, then you'll never stay in the game. If it was easy to sell a business for $10 million, everybody would be doing it. Mm. So your why has to be powerful enough. It has to be motivate you. It has to keep you in the game. It has to keep you weathering all the financial storms. You could be trucking right along in your business on track to make that $10 million mark. And all of a sudden, bam, there's a pandemic. Mm. <laughs> So the why is going to be powerful enough to keep you in the game. That's the GPS exit model. It works. Pretty fascinating. And thank you for walking, walking us through that. So I think you're spot on when you say uh, entrepreneurs don't think about exit much. So true story. Uh, when we were um, in, in, in our business on a progressive side, we got few acquisition offers and we, we are always attacking that uh, as a, as a, as a defensive mechanism. So whenever some, someone came, we said, oh, I don't know whether we're going to do it or not. We have never thought about it. When no, no model was planned. We don't know how to value ourselves. We were always uh, playing that catch-up game. So you are spot on when it comes to having a, a, a basically a methodology and, and mindset before you even hit that where people are interested in you. It would have definitely helped us understand uh, those those sort of conversations better. And I think you yeah. talked about valuation checkups. So how can one do that? That's a fascinating idea because at some point, even I have thought through this a couple of times that I hope someone can play a watchdog and help understand mm -hmm. what's going on. So walk us through some of the struggles that other, other entrepreneurs are seeing about this. Sure. So valuation checkup, you really should work with a, a, a mergers and acquisitions advisor. I wouldn't recommend working with a CPA because evaluating a business is more of an art rather than a science. And to evaluate a business properly, you really need to, to work with an M&A advisor who knows what the buyers are looking for and who knows what synergies that buyers are willing to pay top dollar for. 
you know, when we evaluate a business, we use six different valuation methods. So we look at everything from market comps to so comps to discounted cash flow to asset approach. You know, the big thing that we we take into consideration is what I call the ST6Ps. And the six Ps are really like the six cylinders or the engine of your business. And the more that a company operates in all six cylinders, all six Ps, the more valuable that business is going to be. So when we do the evaluations, when we do one-year checkups for our clients, we take them through the six P process and identify what's their strongest Ps, what's their weakest Ps, and then help them tweak and strengthen their weakest Ps so they are operating on all six cylinders. I don't know. There's nobody else that does that. Um, that's something that I've been doing for the last 20 years in the trenches. Like I said, most CPAs will just look at the numbers, but they don't look at all the synergies and everything else that goes into that business. We're selling a business right now in the 50 to $70 million range. And a CPA told the client, they're lucky if they get 20 million. Mm -hmm. And I told my client, I'm not going to let you sell for $20 million, $20 million. You're going to keep the business. So CPAs sometimes just look at the numbers. They don't look at the synergistic, you know, approach of this business and what buyers are wanting to pay ten, top dollar for. Interesting. And and from your vantage point, when is the ideal time when an entrepreneur or or business should start thinking about either exit or or, or acquiring? Like, what what are some of the some of the significant milestones um, that that you can walk us through? Well, as far as exiting your business, you should plan that from day one of starting or buying a business. And that's that whole GPS exit model I just took you through. And the reason you should do that from day one is because you want to build, you need to build a business that somebody wants to buy. Because if somebody wants to buy your business, what does that tell you? That tells you have a good business. <laughs> and you want to build a business that's sustainable, that you can scale. And when you're ready, you'll actually have a sellable asset. The problem with most business owners is when they get ready to sell, they never built a sellable asset. So you want to do this from the beginning and make sure that you also build your foundation on what we call the, the ST6Ps, which we'll get into in a minute. Um, so you really want to do that from the beginning because even if you say, oh, I'm, I, I might not sell, well, <laughs> nothing lasts forever. I had a sweet little old lady that called me the other day and said, can you sell my husband's business? He dropped out from a heart attack and left me with a mountain of debt. His business wasn't sellable because he didn't have an infrastructure. He didn't have any people. All the data was in his head. When he died, the business died. So you always want to build your business with the end in mind. And you want to do that from day one, because if you build it on the infrastructure, the six P's, you're going to have a sustainable, scalable, and most importantly, a profitable business. And when you are ready to sell, then you have a sellable asset. The other flip side of that question, I think you asked me is when do you know if you should acquire businesses, correct? Yes, that's correct. Okay. So it really mm -hmm. depends upon the growth plan of the company and what the company is trying to achieve. You know, there are, it's, it's, it's always better to grow through acquisitions versus organically because it can really catapult you to the next level. But it's hard to answer that question as far as when should a company consider that. It depends on what the company is looking to build upon. Is the company looking to build upon their team and, you know, get more management team and get more talent? Are they looking for other congruent revenue centers? 
Are they looking for proprietary? It really depends on what their goals are and what they're trying to accomplish to determine when they should do that and how they should do that. Um, there's a lot of times you can acquire business with using the, leveraging the assets of that company mm. and not putting a lot of money down. And you can grow your business for acquisitions that way. But it's just really hard for me to say when without really knowing the company, their structure, what their goals are, what they're trying to accomplish. Interesting. And, and, and um, another um, confusion that, that uh, and, uh, and this is, again, a true story. So having an exit in mind, I think absolutely brilliant idea. We had an exit in mind. We were growing towards it. We were running towards it. And then we, we got this, um, say, a deal in the middle, throwing us off, right? So we were not expecting that to be a typical exit that we were planning, we were aiming for. We were seeing our numbers all, like the entire business was getting shaped towards how we think we will we will see our exit. But then whatever happened, uh, it derailed us. So we, we end up acquiring a company to prove what the worth. Whatever. So we, we end up doing a lot of, lot of sort of uh, um, financial jargons to make us look, so and and when when we were talking about a lot of businesses and I think um, about how how would have they seen uh, dealt with something like this similarly, almost everyone says Vishal, you know what you ex your your exit many times your exit is just it just throws out, out out of the window whenever you get the first offer because many times they you will you will you will sideline by some other scenario that you would never see coming and then you have never planned your models are not attuned to those things. And then by the time you are you are sort of uh, going back and forth, you end up losing your own um, sanity when it comes to what your business typical exit and how you should perceive it. What has been your observation uh, helping thousand businesses? What are some of the is is it real or 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 is there any way to work around it if if at all? I'm trying to understand your question because you just said a lot in there. <laughs> Right. So, so what what I'm saying is that um, when so you have a, you have an exit in mind, you want to mm -hmm. exit, and then you got uh, an alternative exit, right? And you got uh, what? You got an alternative exit. You got some other exit opportunity. You got someone interested in your business, right? Okay. That you are not focusing in. You are focusing on a different market. You are focusing on different drive. All your mathematical and financial and and, and marketing models are appreciating your perceived exit versus what reality that happened in the middle. Is it something common or what do you suggest in those scenarios? Um, well, first of all, I don't, I'm still trying to understand your question, but first of all, I never suggest that a business owner should be the one involved in the process. The business owner should not be the one negotiating. The business owner should have an advisor representing them that's handling all the negotiations. I think earlier you said throw your best, you throw the first offer out. That's not accurate. Sometimes the first offer is the best offer. So you can't say that. Um, I've seen a lot of, of business owners turn down the first offer and every offer after that was terrible. So you cannot say throw out the best offer and you should not be negotiating on your deal. Most business owners are so close to their business. They know every intricate de detail of operating their business, but they don't really know every intricate detail of selling their business, and they're too close to negotiation. They need to let the advisor handle that. Um, that's number one. 
and I'm not. What was there another part of your question? <laughs> no, I think that the, so that so uh, what I was suggesting was that, and so in a business journey, in a journey to to build a real business, many times so you have your perceived plan for the business, and it's working. Yeah. You have advisors to 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 help you envision the perceived uh, plan for the business, and then sometimes you get you side cut with some opportunity. Which okay. is which could be great, but you have never envisioned that your models are not. You 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 okay. have limited visibility to evaluate that opportunity, and then suddenly you are you are off railing. You are trying to um, because again, as you rightly said, your first opportunity could be your it could be your best opportunity uh, in mm-hmm. your existence. So you don't want to let it go as well. So how as a business owner, when you're juggling mm-hmm. this multiple ball and you got this curveball. Coming to and hitting you in the middle, how? What? What's your take on that? Now I understand. Okay, so I think it's really important for business owners to understand their objective and understand their goals. So, if your objective is to sell your business for twenty million dollars, thirty, whatever the number is, and you have a clear exit strategy, a clear plan, then you also need to look at the infrastructure of your business and make sure that you're building your business on that infrastructure of what we call the six P's. And building those synergies. Now, if that curveball comes in, you got to look at it and say, okay, am I selling in a year? And if I do this curveball now, it's really going to derail me and get me off track completely. Or I'm really two years into a 10 year plan. Mm -hmm. And this curveball that comes in, this business opportunity that comes in, I really need to look at it, evaluate it, weigh my you know, pros and cons and weigh the pros and cons to my goals, you know, compare it to the goals of what we're trying to accomplish. And does it fit? Does it fit? Doesn't it fit? You know, and that's a very important point you're bringing up because a lot of entrepreneurs have what I call the shiny penny syndrome. Mm -hmm. And this deal comes, so they're going to chase this deal. They're going to chase this rabbit. They're going to chase this. And they're going to be all off track and they're really never going to get their business where it needs to be and never really hit their goals, right? That happens every day. So I think you're bringing up a great valid point. So my point is know your goals, know your objectives, know what you're trying to accomplish. And it depends upon time frame. If you got one year, you're trying to get this business sold, then don't derail. <laughs> mm. If you're two years and a 10 year plan and it looks good and it checks all the boxes and it's going to meet your objectives, then go ahead. But also make sure you get an outsider expert opinion to also evaluate this opportunity because a lot of times, you know, we have, um, a lot of times we have blinders on and we don't see all the potholes. (laughs) Mm. We don't see all the issues, right? All the distractions. So a lot of times an M&A expert or a, a mentor or, you know, consultant can really help you stay out of the danger zones and look at that opportunity for you to make sure it's a good fit. Because a lot of entrepreneurs make very bad decisions because they're like, oh, this is going to be great. This is going to be great. This is going to be great. But they're not really evaluating it, you know, 
really through clear vision because they just get so excited about the opportunity. Does that make sense? That's absolutely makes sense. So, um, what one more uh, thought I was I was thinking about when you when you were saying this, um, when to engage with an M and A agency or, or or a consulting practice? Because typically, in 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 our journey, uh, if if I give a very specific uh, case. Only when the opportunity came, where it is okay, we need some firm to engage with because we, we want someone to. So it's as I was saying, it was very defensive. So we were not playing offensive, in which you you're making up a great point. Had I uh, had we kept, and probably we should keep uh, someone to walk us through and through. We would it would sort of keep guiding us where where we are going, and they would definitely have a a better vantage point in in our valuation than we do. As you're rightly mm-hmm. saying, it's more an art than a science. So, mm-hmm. so from from your vantage point, from your point of view, uh, when is that? When is the uh, right time to engage, and at what capacity? Yeah. So I think that you know, it, again, it depends upon what you're trying to accomplish. So if you if you say, look, my business is ready for sale, and I really want to sell, then I would say engage an advisor right away. If you say I'm like two or three years out, I would stay, stay I would stay, or three to five years out. I would say still engage an advisor, and here's the reason why: because you need to know where you're starting from, your destination, and where you're starting from. Because when clients engage with us, and they say, "Gosh, Michelle, I really want to sell, but I don't know if I can get the value that I need." And there's a huge process that goes along with all of this where we take our clients through a seller sanity check. And we take them through a seller sanity check because a lot of times they'll say, well, I want $20 million for my company and they're even as 200,000. <laughs> they're not getting anywhere close to 20, 20 million. So we have to take them through a seller sanity check to figure out why do you feel like you need 20 million? Because a lot of times they don't need 20 million. I was just talking to a lady yesterday and she goes, I need 10 million. I go, why do you need 10 million? She goes, well, I want to retire on 2 million. And by the time I pay taxes and everything, that's that's what will be left. I said, no, 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 you're looking at that all wrong. <laughs> so we really take them through this seller sanity check to figure out, okay, how much a month do you need? How much a year do you need? What's the most important thing to you? Is it price? Is it this? You know, how much longer are you going to live? And we really figure out what they need to live on for the rest of their life. And then what's the most important thing to them? Is it taking care of your clients? Is it taking care of your employees? Is it growing your legacy? What are you going to do next? If we don't plan their beginning strategy, they will never exit. We have to help them plan for what they're going to do next after they exit their business. So it's a huge process and a mindset that we go through with our clients. Plus, if they if they really want to sell their business for fifteen million and their business is worth ten million, then we take them through the six P's, and we help them build a fifteen million dollar business. And that might take us two years. So we get them in what we call the road to sell funnel. The road to sell funnel, whereas we're saying, okay, what's your bottlenecks? Let's identify your top bottlenecks. Let's take you through the six P process. Let's figure out how we're going to solve these bottlenecks. Who's going to be in charge of this? What's the time frame? What's the action plan? And that might take us two years or maybe three. So a lot of business owners will 
come and say, oh, I want to sell now. That's, you shouldn't mm. do that. You need to, you need to engage very early on. Not, not everybody does what I do. Mm. I would tell you probably most of them don't do what I do, but we need to be engaged early on because we're going to help build that value. And we're going to help fix the infrastructure so you can get that desired price tag. Plus, we're going to walk through this mindset and really get you crystal clear on what you need to live on because it's not always as much as you think it is. Fair point. So, um, how much? Uh, how much should someone engage with someone like you? So, right now, the the in in this hypothetical scenario, we're not in an active sales. We are business is growing. We're just working, hustling through, getting businesses in shape. How frequently and and how should should someone engage with an M and A expert? It depends upon what they're trying to accomplish. You know, we have clients that want to engage with us once a month because we've identified their bottlenecks, we've identified their strengths and their weaknesses in the infrastructure, where the cracks are. And we give them homework assignments, mm -hmm. and they want to they want to connect with us every single month. We have other business owners say, "I'm way too busy with that for that. I want to contact with you once a quarter." We have other ones that say, "Okay, this is my business valuation. This is what you gave me. This is the things you told me I need to do. I'll get back with you in nine months to a year." So it really depends upon what their goals and objectives are, and it depends upon how quick they're trying to sell. Okay, fair point. And and who is the closest proxy uh, in, in 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 a typical business? So if I'm not engaging with you right now, and maybe I think it's the business is not actively looking into exit, we're still hustling through, we're still planting the seed, as you so rightly say that the six P's that I'm, I'm that we'll talk about very soon. So um, who is the proxy guy or gal? Who is the that proxy position in my company? that I should prepare so they can communicate effectively with someone like you to help understand my business situation. So, um, so are you saying who's a proxy, who in your business you would point to work with us? Yes. To yes. get the business ready? That, that's correct. It really depends on who you trust. You know, typically we work with the owner and the CFO. Most business owners don't want anyone else in the business to know that they're for sale or they're thinking about selling. Mm. So most of the time, it's just the owner. In larger businesses, it could be the owner and the CFO. I mean, we're dealing with a $70 million company right now, and it's two owners, and they're like, nobody else. Mm. And their CPA, we're working with their CPA. Mm. So usually it's the owner, the CPA, or the owner, CPA, and their internal CFO. Um, typically it's not anybody under the CFO. Uh, we do have a COO slash CFO gentleman that we're working with right now in a large company that the owner says, this is my point person, do everything through them. But 99, 99.9% 9, .9 of the time it is the owner and they might have one point person. But again, most business owners don't want the employees knowing that the business is for sale. So you got to make sure whoever you point as that as that person that you trust them. Interesting. Um, so uh, thank you for walking us through uh, uh, on that, Michelle. So now let's let's talk about the meat of the stuff. So by the way, um, <laughs> uh, 
Good book. So um, I, I I did read it, um, and I think um, kudos to you and Sharon Thank for you. putting for putting in lot of insights, lot of lot of tidbits that I think every entrepreneur should know uh, as what makes you shine better, what makes you look look good, and many of these things. I think um, um, sorry, many of the things we we take it for granted because many of the things we we assume we know and we don't. And 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 I personally have seen this and talking to a lot of co-entrepreneurs um, that, that I work with, I'm not alone. Like a lot of us are always uh, fell into the trap of, okay, now there's an exit. Now what should we do? We hustle through and then obviously we realize something. Now up, after that, realize that had I done it properly or, or, or had I provisioned for it to happen more effectively, I would have done a relatively better job at that. So I do appreciate you for for giving a lot of insights uh, in that book for for someone like us. Thank you, thank you. And yeah, you've you've mentioned a comment a few times about hustle through, hustle through, hustle through. And here's the point: most business owners hustle through, but they don't hustle through correctly. Hmm. And so many business owners are so focused on hustling, hustling, hustling marketing, getting clients in the door, getting clients in the door, and then they wonder why mm. their business crash and burns, mm. why their business falls apart. It's because they never built a solid infrastructure to service the clients that they're hustling to bring through the door. Right. Does that make sense? That makes yeah. perfect sense. And and so, by the way, very clever title. Walk us through why write this book. Why write this book? Yes. Well, I said that in the beginning, that out of 27.6 million businesses, those businesses have been in business 10 years or longer, 70% of them will go out of business. Small business is the backbone of our economy. If we lose small business, the U.S. economy tanks. Small business is the backbone of this economy. If you lose small business, you lose jobs, you lose jobs, you lose spending power, you lose spending power, you lose more small business. So the whole purpose of Exit Rich is not just about selling a business because, again, 80% of businesses up for sale will never sell. Eight out of 10 businesses don't sell. Exit Rich is all about building a sellable asset. It's all about building a business that a buyer actually wants to buy and pay top dollar for. It's all about selling when the timing is right for your desired price, your desired terms. It's all about shifting your mindset and stop training your business as your baby. So many business owners have the wrong mindset because they're like, oh, it's my baby. It's my baby. No, it's not. Your babies are at home. Go home, kiss your babies, hug your babies, love your babies. Treat your business as the most valuable asset that it is. I don't see people treating their financial portfolio, their stocks and bonds, as their baby. Mm. <laughs> I see them treating it as, as what it's meant to be, which is their nest egg, their retirement fund. That's what your business is. Your business is going to be your nest egg. It's going to be a retirement fund. Treat it as a valuable asset and build it as such. That's what Exit Rich is all about. And it's about building that solid infrastructure because if you build this solid infrastructure, your business will be sustainable. It will be scalable. And when you're ready, it will be sellable. And that is the biggest issue. 
When business owners are ready to sell, they don't have a sellable asset. That's why exit rich. Otherwise, you're going to be exiting poor. Interesting point. <laughs> so, so what? So, you talked about um, six P method to sell your business. Mm -hmm. Walk us through what the six P method is. Sure. So, we've talked about this a little bit. The big, one, the second biggest mistake that business owners make is they've created a job, not a business. They've created a glorified job that they go to work at every day versus a business that actually works for them. So the number one P is people. You don't build a business. You build people and people build the business. Entrepreneurs love to try to do everything themselves because they're control freaks. You will never grow unless you let go of the control. You will never go unless you let go of the control. Entrepreneurs have to focus on their strengths and hire their weaknesses. We have a dentist that came to us that wants to sell. One dentist, been in business 50 years, three dental hygienists. The dental hygienists are his daughters. Mm. And I said, I can sell the business for you. We're not going to be able to maximize value, but you have to stay for two to three years. And he said, oh, no, we're not staying. I said, well, if you're not staying, you're not selling because all you have is a job. You don't have a business. So people is number one because the biggest problem with businesses is that the business is a 1,000% dependent upon that owner. So you have to focus on your strengths, hire your weaknesses, get the right people in the right seats. So many business owners have the right people, but they have them in the wrong seats. And then you need to ask the who question. Who opens the door? Who handles customer service, marketing, legal, accounting, manufacturing, logistics, environmental? The list goes on and on. The clue is you should never be next to the who. You should never be next to the who because you want to build a business to run without you. Business owners have to work on their business and stop working in the business. So people is number one. Without people, you have no company. You have a job. Make sense? Yeah. Number two is product. You have to ask yourself, is your product, your industry, or your service on the way up or on the way out? Is it thriving or dying? Do you have an Amazon or do you have a blockbuster and you're about to go bust? And unfortunately, because of this pandemic, industries that were once thriving are now dying. So business owners have to stop being transactional and start becoming transformational. If you're in a dying industry, now think about this. 70% of businesses are going out of business that have been in business 10 years or longer. The reason for that is because they stopped doing AIM, always innovate and market. And they stop asking these transformational questions. Your bottom line, Vijal, is you're either growing or dying. There is no in-between. So you have to ask yourself these three questions. Amazon did this back in the 90s. Amazon asked themselves, what business are we in? So every one of your business owners should pause right now and ask themselves, what business are we in? Amazon said, we're in the book selling business. We sell books. The second most important question is, what are our core competencies? What do we do really well? What is our USP, our unique selling proposition? What do we do better than everybody else? Amazon said, we do fulfillment better than everybody else. The third most obvious question is what business should, should we be in? What should we pivot 
too. Amazon said, we should be in a fulfillment business. We should be fulfilling everyone's orders and not just booksellers. Those three transformational questions, as simple as they sound, mm. transformed Amazon from a small bookseller to a multi-billion worldwide, multi-billion dollar worldwide conglomerate. So business owners have to innovate and market. Otherwise, you'll be another blockbuster. The third P is processes. You will never scale without processes. But business owners think about processes like they think of exit strategy. They never think about an exit until something bad happens. They don't think about processes until something bad happens. And then they say, oh, we need a process for that. <laughs> mm. No, you need a process before something bad happens to prevent it from happening. This is where most business owners get this wrong. Most business owners design the process around their own agenda. Example, chiropractors. We're open from Monday, Wednesday, Friday from 9 to 12. Then we leave and we're back 3 to 5. Tuesdays, this hour, Thursdays, those hours. Did they design those processes around the customer experience? Or did they design it around their own agenda? Which one? Own um, agenda. Their own agenda. Yeah. McDonald's back in 1950. Did you ever watch the movie The Founder? Yeah. The McDonald's brothers, right? Mm -hmm. Back in 1950s, McDonald Brothers, not Ray Kroc. Ray Kroc mm -hmm. came in and took the company. Mm -hmm. But the McDonald Brothers said, we're going to create a fast food restaurant. We're going to create a fast food system because nobody had one. And we're going to design our processes around the customer experience. Mm -hmm. We want our customers to experience great tasting food that's hot, fast, 30 seconds or less. Mm -hmm. And do you remember them going to the tennis courts? and drawing out the mm. processes with chalk, mm. and they kept bumping into each other, so they would erase it and they would draw it again. They spent 10 hours mm. perfecting their processes till they figured out who takes the order, who toasts the bun, who cooks the burger, who puts the pickles on the bun and gives it to the client in 30 seconds or less. Mm. Those processes, even though they've been tweaked around the way, along the way, it's why you can eat at McDonald's anywhere in the world and, ex and get the exact same experience, right? It's also why they can fire somebody and have somebody in that position within 30 minutes trained and ready to go. You gotta design your processes around the customer experience. Mm -hmm. We gotta write down what do we want our customers to experience. You need to create wow experiences for your clients. If you don't, your competitor will be happy to do it for you. Mm. And so many companies lose market share because they forgot about the customers. They stop asking, what do you need? What do you want? How can I make it for easier for you to do business with us? The company that makes it easiest for consumers to purchase products and services is the company that's going to win. Amazon is winning, winning, because they make it so easy for anyone to practically buy anything around the world and have it delivered in two days. So processes must be designed with the customer experience in mind. Plus, they must be efficient and productive to decrease overhead, improve efficiencies, and increase EBITDA. Here's the biggest thing. Owners have to get everything out of their head onto paper. You got to have those policy and procedure manuals, those SOP checklists, employee handbooks, non-competes, employee contracts. We're selling a fabrication company. 
been in business 50 years, two owners, four employees. They're like, Michelle, we can fabricate anything for anybody, anytime. Where is all of that knowledge in their head? So we got to get that knowledge out of their head onto paper. And this happens again and again and again in almost every single business where all the expertise is in that owner's head. If something happens to the owner, the business is done. Mm. The business is gone. So a process that has to be designed with the customer experience in mind and the owners have to get all the data out of their head <laughs> onto paper. Okay. So that's processes. The next P, any questions about that? No, I think it's fascinating. Please carry on. The fourth P is proprietary. So let me give you a crash course on valuations. Businesses that have an EBITDA of less than a million dollars will typically trade anywhere from one to three times EBITDA. Some might go for three and a half to four, but they better have some synergies, proprietary synergies. Businesses that have over a million in EBITDA will typically trade for five times EBITDA and up. Proprietary is the number one value driver. It can take you from a five multiple to a seven or an eight or a nine. You have to build your proprietary assets. So proprietary is the number one value driver. There are six pillars to proprietary. Number one is branding. The more well-branded you are, the more I can sell your company for, as long as your brand is relevant in the mind of the consumers. Is anybody going to pay for Blockbuster? No. No. There are five steps in the branding ladder. Do you want to know what those five steps are? Sure. Number one is brand absence. 95% of businesses live in brand absence. Well, consumers have no idea who you are and what you do. Then you go from brand absence to brand awareness. To at least a consumer knows what you do and who you are. Then you go from brand awareness to brand preference where i say i prefer diet coke over pepsi mm -hmm. then you go from brand preference to brand insistence brand insistence is so i'm a speaker before this pandemic i spoke all over the country and i would stay at a lot of different hotels and i would at lunch i always order diet coke mm -hmm. they're like is pepsi okay no pepsi is not okay if I thought Pepsi was okay, I would order Pepsi. Hmm. I only drink Coke. So brand assistance is I only drink Coke. I only use Apple products. I only Xerox. That's brand insistence. Makes sense? Brand advocacy is at the highest level. Hmm. Brand advocacy. When you get to brand advocacy, you're making so much money, you don't know what to do. <laughs> It's always better when somebody else sells you than when you sell yourself. Brand advocacy is when I would say, Vishal, go Google this. Mm. Vishal, go Xerox. Chill, have a Coke. Mm. You follow me? That's brand advocacy. So the biggest, most valuable brand in the world is, do you know? Apple. Apple. Stop, stop right there. Apple. Mm. $359 billion. That's just the brand. That's not assets, cash flow, inventory, real estate, AR, accounts receivables. That's just a brand, $359 billion. So build your brand, build your exit. 
trademark's extremely valuable. Trademark your company name, trademark your um, slogans, your logos, your anything that's unique to you. Like I trademarked Exit Rich, hmm. trademark your podcast. Here's a mistake that business owners make. They go to GoDaddy, they get a domain and go, ooh, ooh we got the domain. Hmm. Then they go open up the business in their state and get a local state trademark. But they never check the federal database to make sure that company name is available. I've seen businesses operate for 5, 10, 15 years and all of a sudden receive a cis and desist letter in the mail and they have to stop using that company name. And they could have been in business for 15 years, branding, 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 mm. and all of a sudden they got to stop using that company name and start all over again. So spend the $1,500 to $2,000 and trademark everything that is unique to you, even products. We have a company that um, we're selling for about $60 million. They have 12 different products. Each product has a federal trademark. Each product is exclusive to a retail chain. They have one product in Walmart, one product in Target, one product in other stores. That strategists will pay a lot of money for that. What we're talking about right now are synergies. Hmm. The strategists are willing to pay you a higher multiple on. Patents are another one. If you've ever watched Shark Tank, what it what does every single investor always ask every single inventor? Do you have a patent on that? Do you have a patent pending? Do you have a utility patent? Their offers always contingent upon a patent. Mm. We sold a business for $18 million. It wasn't making any money, but they had 18 patents. Mm. Contracts are another synergy. Manufacturing contracts, distribution, vendor contracts, exclusive contracts, franchise or that has franchisees. Client contracts are the most valuable because buyers will pay more money for client contracts, especially if it has a subscription model of reoccurring revenue. Mm. Here's where most business owners get this wrong. I've never seen a business owner get this right in my 20 plus years of experience. They never put the two sentence transferability clause that says this contract is transferable to the new entity. Interesting. 99.9% .9 of all sales are stock sell, asset sales, not stock sales. If the buyer doesn't agree to a stock sale and the clients won't sign a consent to transfer, your deal could fall apart. So this is a huge golden nugget. You know, there was a business brokerage firm that sold to a private equity group. They had 1,500 franchisees. The private equity group paid millions. The due diligence team never looked at the contracts. The contracts were not transferable. Oh my God. So they decided to throw a big, a big celebratory party to get everybody to sign the consent to transfer after the closing. The franchisees didn't like the private equity group. Only one franchisee agreed to sign the consent to transfer. All of the 1,499 didn't. The 1,499 did not move forward. The private equity group was out of business, filed bankruptcy within 90 to 120 days and sued the entire legal team. Wow. And what? So make sure you have that transferability clause. Databases are huge. If you nurture your databases and they can be retargeted and repurposed, then we can sell it for a lot of money. Facebook paid $19 billion for WhatsApp. Mm -hmm. How much money was WhatsApp making? Zero. Yeah. They were hemorrhaging, hmm. hemorrhaging. 
but they had a synergy. They had a billion users. So WhatsApp knew they could monetize and they could ROI on the sale of that business. Mm. And then celebrity endorsements are huge. We have a client that has products in front of Oprah. Oprah endorses our products. Mm. Strategists and competitors will pay a lot of money for that because they want to get their products in front of Oprah. Mm. And celebrities can only endorse one vertical at a time. Sydney mm. Crawford only endorses rooms to go. You don't see her endorsing any other furniture company. Mm. Same thing with radio personalities. Radio personalities are huge for strategists because they can only endorse one vertical at a time. One skincare company. If that skincare company stays with that celebrity endorsement or that radio personality, nobody else can get in. Mm. Same thing with e-commerce businesses. Any of my e-commerce businesses, pay attention right now. <laughs> if you can get the three, three, top three to five spots on mm. Wayfair, Etsy, Amazon, eBay, Modern, and your category of what you represent, then strategists will pay a high multiple for that. So these are synergies that buyers will pay more for. Make sense? Yes. And then the, four, the, um, the fifth P is Patreons. This is your customer base. Most business owners follow the 80-20 rule where 80% of the revenue comes from 20% of their clients. That's called customer concentration. I'll give you a quick case study. We were selling a, a manufacturing business, oil manufacturing, and 70% of the revenue was tied up with BP. We appraised the business for $9.8 million. We have 550 buyers look at it. We narrowed it down from 550 buyers down to 12 buyers. We got 12 letter of intent. But every single LOI had a contingency that if they lost BP, they would lose a huge portion of the sales price. Hmm. But then we found a strategic who had some more products and services and had been trying to get in BP for decades and could never get in the door. So they said, we want this business. We're going to pay whatever we have to pay because once we're in BP, we get our products in that door mm -hmm. and it's going to catapult that business to the next level. So they paid $15 million for 70% of the company, which was 126% more than what the business appraised for. Interesting. So that's hard to do. That's why I tell my clients have customer diversification, not customer concentration. Mm -hmm. The last P, the most important P to all entrepreneurs, Vishal, is profits. Mm -hmm. We're all in business to make money, but here's the deal. Lack of profits is never the problem. It's always the symptom and not operating in one of the five P's. Hmm. Clients come to me all the time and say, Michelle, I have a profit problem. I'm like, no, you have a people problem. No, you have a process problem. Lack of profits is never the problem. If you're operating in all five P's, you're going to be very profitable. Hmm. If you build your business on this infrastructure, you're going to be sustainable, scalable, profitable, and when you're ready, you'll have a sellable asset. Fascinating. Um, wow. That's 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 a that's a thank you thank you for walking us through that it's 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 pretty mind boggling so we are at, at the tail end of the conversation and, and and I want to quickly go over and we ask all of our guests uh, and by the way thank you so much for 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 your time on this and thank you for helping us understand um, the exit and M and A market a bit that's I do appreciate that so um, we ask all of our guests to share some of the traits that has helped them become what they have become. 
right? So quickly, if you can walk us through some of your secret to success. So you talked about keeping a notebook all the time in your in your childhood and, and instead of playing with dolls. Walk us <laughs> walk walk us through walk walk us through what has helped you be what you are today. I think I think for me, um, I've always have grit. <laughs> grit. When I look to hire people, one of the biggest things I look for is hiring grit. I don't really look for your pedigree or education. I look for grit. So I have tremendous grit. I have tremendous determination, um, extreme determination, perseverance. Um, I'm like a little Rottweiler. If I want something, I'm going to make it happen. (laughs) 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 And um, I have good habits. You know, I have excellent work ethic. Um, I under promise and over deliver for my clients. I truly care and passionate about entrepreneurship and about business owners. And I love what I do, which I think is extremely important to success. Interesting. And, and, and we, I give back. That's, yeah. I appreciate that. So uh, we ask all of our guests to share some of their favorite reads. Besides Exit Rich, which I which I, I wholeheartedly uh, suggest all of our readers and viewers to check out if they want to understand the art of valuation. Because again, it's not even for the business, but even everything that you you touch on, everything that you work on, having, an, having a clear understanding of what value system you are adding, creating, contributing. I think this is a, this is a good primer book to help you understand that. So uh, with that, um, so... Uh, any favorite read? Any any book that you that you you love you 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 love to read and you have recently read? So there's a lot of favorite books I have. Um, one of them is Think Grow Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Um, another one that I really love is Rich Dad Poor Dad with Robert Kiyosaki and my co-author Sharon Lecter, who mm-hmm. who wrote Rich Dad Poor Dad with Robert Kiyosaki. I also like The One Thing by Gary Keller. Because I think so many entrepreneurs get so sidetracked, like we were talking about earlier, the, sh- the shiny penny syndrome. The one thing is 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 good because it teaches focus that, you know, you can't do everything at once. You pick one thing to focus in your organization that can really catapult that business to the next level. With that, thank you so much. And, and, and last but not the least, if you want uh, something for our guests and listeners and viewers to take away from this conversation, what would that be? What would be your parting thought? Well, what I'm wanting to take away from this conversation is first and foremost, plan your exit. Plan your exit now. Plan your GPS exit. Figure out your destination. And make sure you get an annual valuation checkup. It's financial suicide not to do that. Plus, make sure you build your business on the six Ps because you need that solid infrastructure and go out and get Exit Rich at ExitRichBook.com. And I'd be happy to tell all of your listeners all the golden nuggets and all the value that we're giving for anyone that buys a book before the book launches in June. Awesome. So ExitRich.com, you said? No, ExitRichBook.com. ExitRichBook.com. And, and to yeah. our listeners and viewers, we'll put that in the description as well. Uh, go and check that book out. With that, Michelle... Thank you, thank you, thank you for spending time with us. Thank, thank you. you for helping us understand the the market, and thank you for everything that you're doing uh, to create awareness. Thank you. But can I tell your listeners what they get? Sure. Okay. So if you go to so the book comes out in June, 
but we are giving huge, huge value for anyone that buys a book and pre-sells, and it's less expensive. So we're selling the book for $24.79 at exitrichbook.com. You will receive the digital download immediately, so you can start reading the book today. You don't have to wait till the book comes out. Plus, we'll ship our hardcover to your doorstep to anyone that lives in the United States. Plus, we'll give you a lifetime membership into the Exit Rich Book Club. The Exit Rich Book Club has me doing video content of all these different techniques and strategies that I've been practicing for the last 20 years in the trenches, plus documents, documents to operate your business, documents to sell your business. We have sample employee handbooks, non-competes, policy and procedure manuals, org charts, to sell your business, sample LOIs, letter of intent, sample purchase agreements, sample due diligence checklist, and sample closing documents. These documents would cost you over $30,000 if you want your attorney to create. They're there for your review and your download. You can download and use the templates. Again, this would cost you over $30,000. Plus, we will give you a 30-day free membership into Club CEOs, and Club CEOs is an entrepreneur mastermind that I started where we ask, we do Q and A's, hot seats, and we ask those transformational questions. So we really can help business owners get unstuck and build that sustainable, scalable, and sellable business. All for $24.79 at exitrichbook.com. Count me in. I think that's pretty fascinating. Thank you so much, Michelle. And, and um, <laughs> thank you for spending time with us. I do appreciate it. Good luck with the book. You're always welcome back on the podcast. And uh, lovely to have you on the show. Thank you, Vishal. Thank you so much for having me. It's been my absolute pleasure to be with you today. I was homesick, never really knew that I would have to grow up so quick.